would y'all pray with me? Let's just pray for a minute here. Dear God, here, here we come once again just pursuing your son Jesus. I know how that, how happy that makes you, God, for, for us to take serious your offer, your invitation, your offer of the gospel, and your invitation to follow your son. So thank you, God. I want to thank you right now for Luke, who did all the due diligence, all the homework he did, gathered resources, other written material, interviewed people who walked with Jesus, and then put together this orderly account of his life. I pray that we get just a dose of what he intended as a narrator and what your Holy Spirit intended as the force behind it. So we love you, God, and we are eager I'm eager to unpack with my friends here um, chapter 5 in his book and these powerful scenes, a couple of which have had deep personal significance to me in my followership. So God, I just pray that you take this humble offering of teaching and that your Holy Spirit would come down, meet, meet every single person here where they're at and that they would experience your son Jesus. I know that's what will change us and would change anyone in here. Let us see Jesus. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. So we are currently in a series entitled, This is the Way. There's a place where Jesus says he is the way. That's what he says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, uh, and so this is the way. Jesus is the way. We're trying to live in him and like him. And so we're following the entire life and ministry of Jesus for most of this year. And we're, we're listening. Look, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four, the four first books of the New Testament. We are studying Luke, which is one of the accounts of the life of Christ. And you heard me in my prayer. We picked him because he claimed he did his homework and put it together in an orderly fashion. So we're trying to follow his order and see what he fashions in us as we study Jesus in his book. So to this point in the story, he has begun his ministry. Jesus has begun. He's 30 years old and he has begun his ministry. But to this point, he has done everything that he's done alone. And it's here in Luke 5 that it becomes clear that Jesus is not going to do this alone. He starts inviting people to follow him. He starts putting together, we'll find out, a ministry team. He's decided to do this in community. It starts with the calling of some fishermen right here in verse 5. And then it, it, it leaks over into a bit, little bit of chapter 6. Chapter 5, chapter 6, where he appoints 12 to be special followers of his from all of his followers. We'll get to that next week, so you have to come back for that part. But when he calls people to follow him, it's not like he's inviting you to follow him like we do on social media, right? Like on Facebook. It's not like a Twitter follower where I want you to just show that you're a little interested in my teaching and get little pictures of my life that you enjoy and maybe show your friends. It's not like that. When he calls someone to follow him, he's calling them to leave everything. Get up and go and go with him and join him in the work he's doing. And we've already seen the work he's doing, right? He's already, Luke has already unpacked what he's doing. He is bringing what's called the kingdom of God. 
He's bringing the kingdom of God. And he's doing that by teaching it and demonstrating it. And teaching it and demonstrating it. He's teaching us as we go through this book what he means by the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're doing here. Now along the way in chapter 5, I'm going to give you this little orientation. And we're just going to walk through the stories here. Most of them at least. Jesus is beginning to form a group. That's what's happening here. He's beginning to form a group that way down the line will eventually be called his church. Okay? But he's forming a group. He's calling people to follow him. Those are called disciples. That's just discipleship is the word for follower. And, and so that's what he's calling them to do. There's another group we're going to meet in this chapter that we haven't met yet. And they are called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So he's forming this one new group. There, this group has been around for a long time. And, and we won't learn this totally in chapter 5, but we will be introduced to it. Spoiler alert here. This, they are going to represent a major opposition to Jesus and this new group for the rest of the book. Big spoiler alert. They are going to be the cause of Jesus' ultimate death. We meet them right here. So with that little orientation... We'll begin. One, one more thing. Why? Why are they so opposed to Jesus? They should be the ones. I mean, these are the most devout followers of Scripture in existence on the planet. And so they are the ones that should be the most excited for the Messiah that they read about in their Bible to be there. Well, it's because the kingdom of God, as he is teaching and demonstrating it, is so far removed from their interpretation of Scripture and the kingdom of God that they are promoting and teaching and converting people to, that they think he's wrong. That's best case scenario, is that they are just opposing the emerging kingdom of God in the name of God. That's the irony. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is they like the way it is because it gets them some power, and so they don't want anything to threaten that. So that's this group, and we're going to meet them here. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, lake of Gennesaret is the lake of, it's Gal, the lake of Galilee. Okay, there's like three names for it. It's that same lake. So one day he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to push out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So this, he's out by the lake and the boat is now his pulpit he's talking to these people that are crowding around when he had finished speaking he said to simon put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch simon answered master we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but because you say so i will let down the nets when they had done so they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break so they signaled their partners in the boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And he and all his companions, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, his, uh, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So the first thing I want you to know is, is Luke, in his narration of Jesus' ministry, has made a big shift. 
You remember he was going all around Galilee and the first place he would go is, do you remember? Synagogue. The synagogue is like the Jewish church building. It's a very good comparison. Anywhere there were 10 Jewish families, they had to build a synagogue. That's where they would worship. That's where they would learn about the Bible, okay? And, and, the, and the kingdom of God that they're waiting on. And so uh, it makes sense that he would go to the synagogues first. Of course, they're the ones, the practicing Jews are the ones that should be the ones that are most eager to meet Jesus, to meet the Messiah that they've been reading about. But here, Luke has him going not to the synagogue. He's out by the lake. His pulpit is a boat. He's out there, outside the churches of the day. And he finds his first committed followers who are willing to leave everything and follow him, not at church, not at the synagogue, but out there in the world. You say, well, he did miracles and, and uh, he taught with authority. He did that in the synagogues. We've already read it. But that didn't get him this kind of commitment. He found this kind of commitment out there. That's just significant, I think. Something for us to think about. The second thing I want to note is very personal to me. This is one of the texts that has a personal history with myself. So Jesus revealed his authority to these fishermen in a way that would be amazing to fishermen. Okay? He revealed his authority and his power in a way that would be amazing to them. So at at first glance to the non-fishermen, first century fishermen, this this is kind of a strange reaction. So Jesus says, hey, put out the nets for a catch. They do. Now granted, they got this massive catch, but to respond by turning to Jesus and falling down at his knees and saying, depart from me, get away from me, I'm sinful. That just seems like an extreme reaction. I mean, yes, it's great, but I mean, I would be something like, thank you, this is all, I'm set for the month, you know, something, but not, depart from me, why? Why was this? Because this was fisherman miracle. This was specific to them. They know fish, they know fishing, they know this lake. That's why he says, carpenter boy, we're not going back out there. We've been fishing all night. That's the time to catch fish. We haven't caught a thing, but okay, okay, we'll do it at your word. And so when they caught likely the biggest catch of their careers, they knew, they knew God was at work in this boat through this carpenter named Jesus. They'd already been impressed. Remember Simon, his mother-in-law had a deathly fever just yesterday. She got healed. That was amazing. But this one's the one where he falls on his knees. Why? Because he's in the presence of God. And I believe what Peter knew when he really felt the presence of God, he went straight to his unworthiness. He said, I know me. I know what I've done. Maybe you've done this. I know I have. I know me. I know what I've done. And so when God finally breaks through and makes his presence and his light and his holiness known, he pushes him away. I did that. I did that many times in my growing up years. I'd go to church. I'd go to retreats. I'd go. I was growing up in this Christian faith. I'd want to know God, but when he would break through, I would, I would push him away because I know me. I know what I've done. And I got no business. God has no business being around me because of his holiness and his worthiness. So this is really personal for me. 
And I remember feeling that way, and it took more times than once. But in this event, Jesus did for Peter what he did for me. He told him, get up. Get up, I want you. I don't just accept you with your sin. I want you on my team, and I'm going to use you to deliver this message to others. Church, that's how great the gospel is that good. Your sin does not disqualify you from the kingdom. It qualifies you. That's how good the kingdom is. You see it all through scripture. He'll have to convince you of it, but he will. He's committed to it. It's that good. Continuing on in verse 12. Now he's got some followers, right? These fishermen. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So we've already talked about how Luke has made it clear, even through the birth narratives of John and Jesus, but all through there that this kingdom's different. It, puts, it turns culture upside down. It turns the religious thoughts upside down. He is after the marginalized. He's after those that are out, typically, that we typically think of as out. That's what marginalized means. Now, lepers are the most marginalized of the marginalized. Okay, that they are. They are the most unclean. And they have the most visible kind of expression of that. So leprosy was a skin disease that literally ate away the skin. That over time, it would take over whole appendages to where you'd lose a hand or a foot or, or both. And you'd be left with stumps. And that's, that's the physical part. The social part's worse. Lepers had to live in isolation. They had to live in the law. In Leviticus, it says, live outside the community. It's like a command. And if anyone comes close to them, when they're way in the distance, they need to shout, unclean, unclean, don't come near me. So he's already breaking the law when he sees Jesus and these followers. And he doesn't yell, unclean. He says, I never heard of you. You can heal me if you want to. Now, he did heal him. But that's to these fishermen, I'm thinking, who are learning more about the kingdom. I'm thinking to... Yes, it's amazing that he heals again, but they've seen that. They've seen Simon's mom got healed. They saw a way bigger miracle than that for fishermen. Okay, an impossible catch of fish that does not happen. So that, I don't think that's what's advancing the kingdom for these guys. I think there's one little phrase, and this is why it was a leper now. And it's one little phrase in verse 13 where it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I think that's what's advancing the kind of kingdom we're in here. Jesus touched the unclean. See, that should have made N.T. Wright, if you're following along in, in his book, and I encourage you to, and if you're not following along in that book, because he covers so much more than I will ever be able to cover here, okay? And it's just important for you to be engaging in the life of Jesus. We still have some copies that you can buy in the foyer. But he suggests that theoretically it should have made him ceremonially unclean because he touched a leper but also worse than that it would make him likely to catch this disease this uncleanness would be contagious and that's how culture lived that's how culture lives now right 
uncleanliness, we're supposed to separate ourselves from that. The kingdom turns all that upside down. The kingdom comes in with all God's love, with all his life, with all his healing power, and he says, I'm contagious. I go to the unclean. I go to Simon who is sinful. My righteousness is what's going to rub off. That's how the kingdom works. That's why when we get to it, the great commission is go and make disciples. Go to those marginalized. Go to the hurting. Whether it's physical sickness or spiritual sickness or emotional or mental, we go. God's righteousness is what's contagious and it is invading That's what advanced what the kingdom is, is he touched the untouchable. Do you? Do I? Do we? Is there room for them in our life? Let alone do we make a priority of them like the king of our kingdom does. The marginalized. Moving on, verse 17. One day as he was teaching, here they are, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who would come from every village in Galilee, that's like 200 villages, and from Judea down where Jerusalem is, and from Jerusalem. This has caught their attention. And they are coming to check Jesus out. They heard of this, and they got to check him out. So here it is. This is our first introduction to them. So they come from all these villages. They were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on a mat, threw the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? See, because Jesus knew. Forgiveness of sins is a way bigger miracle than that. than a little bit of healing, okay, here on earth. It's a way bigger miracle. But, but, he says that you may know that the Son of Man does have authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Understatement of the book so far. So there's a lot here, a lot of things that... I wish we could dig into and we should dig into and we are, I am digging into personally, but, but I'll just mention a few. There's this interesting statement when he's sitting there teaching the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Did you see it? It says the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick, especially because of a recent event I've been through and other loved ones in this church have been through. I'm wondering, he's saying it almost as if there are times when the power available for healing is not there. When is it available? When is it not? That seems like something we should know and that we want to know. I'm not sure, but that's interesting here. There's also, this is the first time the relationship between faith and the forgiveness of sins is connected. Now, 
it will continue to be connected. Paul goes to town on the connection, but this is the first time we see it, and that's a, something that we need to explore. It's also interesting that Jesus saw the faith, not of the paralytic, so he said, your sins are forgiven, but there, his friend's faith. He saw their faith and therefore responded. How, what is the relationship there of someone else's faith to someone else's forgiven. What is it? There's, there's a relationship. What, what is it? These are interesting, aren't they? But for today, I'll stick to the main plot here, which I believe is Jesus doubling down on who he is, that he indeed has serious authority here on earth. And he's up in the ante in this story. So after he sees their faith, that is their belief that Jesus can do the impossible. That's what faith is. I don't know what else it is. Faith is belief that Jesus can do the impossible. And after he sees that, he does the most impossible thing and forgives him of his sins. So the Orthodox religious people, they attack him at the level of his identity. Who is this fellow? And then accuse him of the worst thing, blasphemy. Blasphemy is punishable by death. So So this is big here. And so I imagine this is a momentous occasion for Simon and these fishermen who are following him. Here is the most amazing, incredible, impressive, undeniably followable rabbi that they've ever seen in Jesus. But here is the most important, most authoritative church people that have the keys to the kingdom, they believe, that have just said, accused him of the worst thing. What is he going to do? This had to be tense. What does Jesus do? He would validate his identity. He would validate it. He would call them out for their lack of faith. And then he would validate it with a lesser miracle. The healing of this man. What can they do? What can they do? And so I see two groups. Those two groups responding again. There's that group that I believe are real human beings with real human needs. They are elated. This is remarkable. I can't believe it. The kingdom is about real human beings with real human needs, and it's meeting us there. They are amazed. They are in awe. And then there's this other group that's concerned about the distance from their understanding of Scripture that this is representing. That's the two groups that's going on there's no mistaking in this scene that jesus is sitting with the pharisees and the teachers of the law first right he's talking to them but he takes his eyes off of them and puts them on the people the group that has faith in him to meet a legit need of their neighbor that's where he puts that's where his priority is in that room Theological debate with these guys? I need to do that. You're invited to, and I need to walk you through that. But this is why I'm here. To meet real need. This is what the kingdom is. This will show you what your theology is supposed to lead to and be about more than anything I can argue with you about, about Scripture and your interpretation there. So he puts all his attention on that. That's what he does. He looks to people who look to him with belief and faith that believe, this whole chapter says this, that believe he has come to meet the deepest of spiritual needs and physical needs. That's what's happened with Simon and with these healings. 
Verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Second time we've heard that phrase in chapter 5, Luke's writing in an orderly fashion. But the Pharisees, oh, sorry. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong, teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. So this is Simon and Andrew and those guys. Why do you, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. So he's talking to the disciples. Jesus answers. It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As if to solidify the point of what Luke is explaining in this chapter. Jesus goes out and calls one of the most despised people in the community, a tax collector, to be one of his followers, to leave his job. So this guy is marginalized for a different reason, okay? He, the Jews hate him because he's a Jew collecting taxes from the Jews, his neighbors, for the Romans. So he's in collusion with the Romans. The Romans hate him because he's a Jew. And they don't really respect that he's turned kind of in this way on their fellow Jews, even though he's useful to them. So nobody likes him. If he's going to have friends, they're going to be other tax collectors and sinners. That's who's going to be there. And so he, he calls another marginalized person to be a part of his uh, followers. And I think he did this not just because he knew Levi's deepest heart, because a lot of tax collectors are corrupt. But Levi, I think, was after the kingdom. But to set up this conflict with the Pharisees. So what did Levi do? After he met Jesus, he did what all of us should do. He invited all his friends to meet Jesus. He, he told everybody about him. He, he threw a party. He paid for the, the setting in which his other friends could meet this amazing character that has come into his life. Tax collectors and sinners, they're called by the Pharisees. And when the religious people complain, because by the law standards, you're unclean if you even eat with these tax collectors, let alone touch them, Jesus gives this unarguable explanation. This had to ring in their ears, even if they were against him for the rest of the time. He just looked at him and said, who, who, needs this? who needs the doctor, the sick or the healthy? What are they going to say? And in this scene, who thinks they're the healthy and who knows they're the sick? They know exactly what he's saying. That had to ring in their ears for the... God, if God is a doctor, is he coming for the sick or for the healthy? Is what he's saying. And they just got cut out if they are going to be determined to continue their version of the kingdom of saying they are separate and apart from the rest of real human beings because they've gotten a few rules right in their estimation. And that was enough. That, that unarguable statement was enough, speaking of vision and mission statements, for him to say something that could be seen as a little mission, vision statement that serves his overall mission. He says, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Going full circle. Your sin does not disqualify you from God. It does not disqualify you from Jesus. I can't think of any better news than this. 
as someone who wants to be loved by God, who needs to be loved by God, who wants to be a part of God's world now and for eternity, I can't think of anything better than this idea that my sin does not disqualify me from that, but qualifies me. I am qualified in spades if sin qualifies you for the kingdom. Does it mean we continue in sin? It means it makes us his target audience because he's after that. So here's what I want to do. I want to do it a little different here. I want to ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead with their spouses to move around the room so you can respond. And I always end by telling you after we go through the story, we're following Jesus through the story, right? And then I tell you what hit me. And I had several things hit me, but I was talking about it with Doyle. And Doyle had this really cool thing hit him in this stream of thought in Luke. So I'm going to ask him to come up, and then he's going to lead us right from that insight into our closing set. Thank you, Doyle. Yeah, what I was struck with this morning, uh, as I'm listening to Brian's teaching, and we've discussed this scripture so much this week, uh, it just reminded me, Brian, that, that we all look at scripture through different lenses. And and while there are many similarities in what struck me, what hit me this week as I was reading through this, uh, there's there's also differences. They're both truths from God, uh, but but a little bit different. I think there's an old proverb about it's like a diamond that you you see the beauty of the diamond, then you just turn it. And, oh, there's even more beauty, and you you can do that all your life with Scripture. So what struck me this week as I'm looking to Luke for orderly fashion of saying, okay, what's Luke speaking to me? And I'm reading through my lens and my story and, and the people around me uh, and what, what I go through daily. And what hit me as we go through, as Brian preached through all this uh, already, through uh, him, him going to the fishermen and giving them this great miracle and they got all the fish they want, but then he, he says, don't be afraid. I'm calling you to something more, not that life, not the great fisherman life where you can make a lot of money catching a lot of fish. I'm calling you to be a fisher of men. And then he goes to the leper, who, like Brian said, is the, is the, the outcast. And he said they're outcast uh, both physically because you can't touch them. Uh, they're, they're isolated because of the law, but they're also unclean spiritually. They are not accepted by anyone in the priesthood, which is where he sent uh, the, the leper after he healed him. But he didn't, I mean, he healed him, but he didn't say, you're healed. What did he say? He said, be clean. So he did more than heal him. He cleansed him before God. That's important to me. They're different words. I, I looked it up this morning just to make sure. They're different Greek words, the healing and the cleansing. He cleansed him and called him to more to something new. And then, who's next? The paralytic. You know, we all know this whole story. He could have just healed him again, but what'd he do? Same thing. He cleansed him. He forgave him of his sins. He did more to change him for a new life. And then Levi, like Brian said, they are hated among hated. They have their own special kind of sin because they're, they're not even just called sinners. It's sinners and tax collectors. Like, they're, the, they're another bad group. They're, they're so terrible, we can't just call them sinners. And he said, follow me, and I'll change you. And he left everything and followed him. So what hit me is what uh, Paul says in First uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians 5, I think, that if any man is in Christ, that when you're in the presence of Christ, you're a new creation, and the old is gone. I love that this is what hit me, that the, 
that Peter and, and Andrew and James and John, those are the guys that they're there at the fishermen, they, they had a label. They were fishermen. No longer. You're a fisher of men. They're a new creation. The leper never has the title of leper again because Jesus made him clean. The paralytic will never have the title of paralytic again because he walks and he's without sin. And Levi, Matthew, that we, we call him Matthew, will never be taught, called a tax collector again because Jesus has changed him. He's a new creation. That's what hit me. That when we come to Jesus, he encounters us. It is true that this is what Luke is telling Doyle when Doyle is reading Luke 5 this week. It is true that you're a new creation. And stop holding on to the old creation and live in the new for better, for fishing, for men, for going and following Jesus, for all those things that they got to do because Jesus changed them. So this morning we're going to pray, um, we're going to pray, yeah, in song. Uh, and we're going to pray a song, two songs actually as our response. And I, sh- I encourage you to actually pray these lyrics through your heart. Oh, draw me, Lord, and I'll run after you. And make me more free. The lyric is more free from my old life, more free in my new. And let's walk into that together. Our shepherds uh, are around the back, it looks like, and Brian will be up here up front. I'll be up here up front. If you are needing help to live in your new life and not keep on hanging on to your old, this is the time. This is a great time to go to one of these men or women and say, please help me with me, pray me, with me, walk with me in this. If you want to proclaim that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, he, is your, he, is your, he, he controls your life and he heals your life and makes you clean, today you might want to proclaim that in baptism. Go to any one of these people, come up here to us, and we can do that for you this morning.